Hello everyone and welcome to the Second Party Podcast. I'm your host, and, well, I have to admit, I struggle knowing how to start things. So, today, we're going to get warmed up, ease into the swing of things. We're going to keep it light and stick to the first party for now. You may be wondering, what is the second party? Well, I hope you stick around to find out. But for now, I'm going to start with some stories and share a bit. When I was a young kid, I vividly remember being in a booster seat in the back of my mom's car. She would drive my sister and me around, running errands, visiting grandparents, seeing friends. Like most kids, I was persistently curious, and I remember incessantly watching her movements from the back seat as she zipped around in her manual Honda. I remember watching her hit a stock on the side of the steering wheel and asking her why she was doing that. I then proceeded to ask about every conceivable button, switch, and lever she touched each answer bringing about an additional flurry of whys. Why you need it, when you use it, how and why we drive, everything, until I understood all that I could about these things. This quickly turned into me asking about the nature of driving, rules for the road, and how one learns to drive, because I knew that I was going to someday. This is how car rides went with me as a child. The rides were generally short, and my questions were extensive. This was not an uncommon occurrence or something specific to just cars and driving, though. I would ask my dad about every single button on our computer, digital, physical, what it is, why it was there, why it looked a certain way, every annoying question a kid could think of. In hindsight, it was probably unbelievably unnecessary, annoying, and likely super incessant. But my dad was a great sport about it, even showing a little seven-year-old me keyboard shortcuts and hidden menus. When I was younger, I would ask questions like this constantly. Most kids ask questions to understand to intellectually explore the world, as well as sometimes, obviously, just to annoy one's parents. I did that a lot too. However, my parents said that I would just not stop asking these questions. When other kids would quit after a dozen or so, I would just keep peppering them with questions constantly. My parents said that they thought back to their own childhoods and their childish curiosity, and that's why they would try and answer every single one of my questions, because that's what they would have wanted when they were kids. They were wonderful. They stoked my childhood curiosity about the world in the best possible way, like parents are supposed to. I played sports with other kids that lived near me, but from quite a young age, I was content talking at length with other kids about things that they thought about the world. To my dismay, as you can imagine, many kids would quickly tire of simply talking and would want to go back to playing sports, games, or engage in other activities that they thought were more invigorating, more interesting. But the friends I did have were always people I could explore new ideas with and have deeper conversations. I vividly remember conversations about religion and the economics of toy prices with one of my best childhood friends when we were as young as eight. We would discuss the differences between different Christian denominations, Bible chapters, and even where the Lego market on eBay was going. As we got older, I would talk with friends about things like the role of technology in our future, new stuff that came out, And even things like our surface-level understanding of the stock market, investments, compound interest, and more before entering middle school. As I grew older, I found myself talking to people who were significantly older than I was. When my parents would have their friends come over, I would talk to them about politics, technology, business, startup companies, as many of them were working on these, science, engineering, and more. It was in these situations that I found true intellectual satisfaction. I yearned for this day in and day out. Sadly, many of these adults didn't particularly want to have long and extensive chats with a teenager, 
So as a result, I turned to other things, like reading scientific papers, listening to college lectures, watching videos from Khan Academy, and even TED Talks. Lectures and talks on YouTube became my avenue to explore complex ideas that I couldn't with my peers, who were simply uninterested in these things, or so I thought. There were many get-togethers with groups of my friends, where I would sit off to the side, unbelievably uninterested in the conversations at hand. They would have some trivial conversations about drama at school, celebrities, the latest TV show, or teen dystopian movie that was only mildly interesting. After not too long, though, I wanted to move on and get to something more interesting. Not wanting to be pretentious, and after listening to some lectures about engaging in interesting conversation, I decided to try and reach out and talk more with my peers at these get-togethers. I'd talk to one or two people at a time and open with a question. I'd always do that. I would always start with something really open-ended so that someone could respond how they wanted. I wanted to learn from people and to better understand the world around me, different perspectives, and what people were thinking. Questions were the best way of doing this. People would talk about topics that they were interested in, and I would do my best to push the conversation deeper and deeper to get to the root of whatever the topic was. I really wanted to thoroughly explore what they had brought up, everything from gymnastics to music theory, relationships with coworkers to job prospects, dreams and aspirations, fears, anything. I would talk with anyone about anything as long as they were willing to go deep enough to make it interesting. I learned a lot of things doing this, about a vast array of topics, as those around me opened up. As a result, in high school, I got a reputation as someone people would inexplicably trust to share their secrets, rumors, and crushes. My wife could vouch for this. She would often joke about how I always seem to know about everything and everyone's secrets. I learned that those around us have a lot to teach us, even if it might not appear that way on the surface. Sometimes we just have to dig a little to get at it. There were times when I would end up talking to people's parents, asking questions about their homes, what motivated them, the life they lived, and why they chose them. I found it very interesting just how different people's lives could be while still living in the same city. I grew up in a suburb right on the edge of a large metropolitan area. A 10-minute drive in one direction, and you could be in cornfields with tractors driving on the side of the road. 10 minutes in the other direction, and you'd be looking up at skyscrapers and surrounded by shops, public buses, and quaint city areas. Some people chose stereotypical suburban lives. Polo shirts, mowing the lawn, a 9-to-5 job at a medium-to-large company, while others chose large city lives. Taking the train to work, daycare for the kids, jobs in a high-rise, and still others chose very rural lives, tending to fields, riding four-wheelers, and homeschooling. I had a variety of family friends who fell into all of these categories. I was fascinated by the immense freedom to choose, fascinated by all these different ways of life, all the rationale behind people's choices and the near-infinite set of characteristic combinations one could choose. No matter where I was, I would ask as many questions to whomever would entertain them as possible. I got a reputation as someone who would ask very serious, pointed questions. Sometimes people weren't terribly interested, but oftentimes, people would look back with a level of confusion and deep thought as if no one had taken them completely seriously before. Like no one had ever asked what it was exactly that they were thinking. I could see in most people's eyes that they had something in them that longed for more, something that forced them to actually use their mental capacity, something to push the limits of their thoughts. Something to test their presuppositions and to aid in the revelation of reality. Something to make them truly think, if only for a moment. I lived for those moments, 
when their eyes would light up as their minds revealed things that they had not yet addressed to themselves, like they were activating a muscle they didn't know existed. Sometimes people would shy away from this, maybe out of fear, maybe for lack of comfort, maybe because I was just an awkward kid, or maybe because they wished to deny that part of themselves. The part they had let go hungry, the part they set off to the side, telling themselves it didn't actually exist. The responsibility for nurturing the curiosity they had abdicated for years, maybe even decades. It was this that I wanted to see in people. I wanted to see their full ideas and contend with them. Well-adjusted children play with nearly any kid around them who is also well-adjusted. Kids will invent games out of thin air to play, regardless of the environment or what's around them. Kids do this to explore new things with each other. They learn together, bounce ideas off each other, and grow in character. They explore the realities around them. Nowadays, it seems like there's a time when kids stop playing, and in a way, this can be a sign of maturity. When one better understands the world around them, manifesting a fantastical, made-up world to superimpose on reality is no longer as necessary. The perspective becomes more in line with reality and less fantastical. This is often a sign of development, but it's not the same as saying that play should stop. Play should evolve. Adults, as all of us are aware, don't know everything. When one grows older, not everything becomes a closed case. In fact, on the contrary, things seem to become more complicated. When the world opens up, one understands further levels of complexity. These must still be understood, still explored, still examined and manipulated with, still played with. And the best way to understand, manipulate, and play with ideas is with other people. Adults need to play just as much as kids do, perhaps even more. The mode of play simply needs to adapt and change with our maturity. As adults, we need to talk about ideas with our peers. We need to play up, like my dad would always say in basketball. We need to evolve. We need to try new things. We need to reinvigorate that childish play that explores the world. This play needs to be with those that play fair. Without fair play, we can't properly learn. Fair play allows for continued play over long spans of time. Fair play allows for mistakes. It forgives and allows people to explore new things. It's honest and is productive. Fair play has love and truth. When I went off to college, I joined some small groups where I would see those lights in people's eyes as I asked pointed questions. Like in high school, I got a reputation for this in college as well. I liked seeing this look on people's faces and liked it even more when people embraced this part of themselves. My wife and I started our own small group so that we could pick the topics and dive in deep, as deep as possible, on interesting topics. People came and went from that small group as college was busy, but there was a core group of people that we would discuss things with every week. This core group was wildly diverse in background and in the ways that they thought. Some people were hyper-conscientious, some were super open. Others were engineers, nurses, or humanities students. Some were more conservative, some more liberal, everything under the sun. This amalgamation of different perspectives allowed me, and I think everyone else in the small group, to understand a perspective that differed from our own, and to learn things that we wouldn't have otherwise understood. The group loved to dive into intellectual and theological discussions. It was a real special group of people that would posit new ideas, ask questions, encourage thinking, and seek to leave with a better understanding than we started with. It was a place that I learned a lot of new things, and those small groups were some of the best times I had at college. Throughout all stages in my life, one good avenue I found for exploring new thoughts, ideas, and questions I had was actually at my church. Each week when I was young, I would stay after the service and ask the pastor questions about the message. 
Bible verses I had been reading, or just general theological topics. Almost always I was met with serious answers to my questions. When I aged out of some of the required small groups that we had to attend as kids, I joined an optional youth group at my church where I had a phenomenal youth group leader that would answer every single question I had. For a high schooler, this was awesome. I was taken seriously and treated like an adult, even though I was not one yet. I've heard from some people that when they ask genuine questions or try and bring things up at church that they are met with stone walls, or that they were dismissed and scolded. This really saddens me. The church should be a place where questions can be asked, where answers can be found, and where people can be taken seriously, where people can be accepted for where they're at on their journey. Thankfully, my experience was very different than most people's, both at church and at home. My parents had requirements surrounding attending church, but they didn't put what I would describe as emotional manipulative pressure on me to believe in something. It was as if they put food on our table and said that we needed to try one bite, but if we didn't want to eat any more, we didn't have to. Something that was both metaphorically and literally true in my household. As I grew older, my parents began to treat me like I was an adult. This obviously didn't happen overnight, and it didn't apply to everything. It wasn't as if I had no rules, but as I matured and grew up, the transition into being treated like an adult was gradual. I was given more responsibility gradually. I was treated as if I was older than I was. I was given leadership responsibilities and roles, and I took those seriously and appreciated them greatly. When my parents would have friends over, the ones that were new, or rarely came, would treat me like a child. But those that came over frequently, or paid attention, would generally begin to treat me as an autonomous individual. I wanted to be seen as an adult, not because I wanted some level of prestige, but because I wanted to be welcomed into more complicated conversations. I wanted to engage in more intellectual adult discussions. I didn't see myself as equals to those 20 or 30 years older than me, but I did see myself as a young adult and wanted to be seen and treated as such. I learned a lot from these conversations. I gained mentors, figured out what I wanted to study for college, what I wanted to do with my life, and so much more. But perhaps those are stories for another time. Since I was young, my life has been characterized by asking questions, from childhood on. Young children ask why because they're curious. They want to learn new things. This usually makes sense because, well, they're kids. They don't know much yet. But as you get older, you learn more, you understand more, and you solve more problems. Yet at the same time, it's also true that the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know. If you really think about it, we should be asking, why, far more often as adults than we ever did as kids. Of course, it doesn't necessarily manifest in a verbal why to those around us, but we should, increasingly, be pondering, questioning, contemplating, and considering the intellectual world around us. We were given brains, curiosity, and intelligence, unmatched by any other species on earth. It should be a shame not to use it. Yet so often, people deny this part of themselves. They deny the part of them that longs for more. They deny the search for knowledge, that which makes us unique. And with that, they deny themselves. Well, it's getting late, but I've been musing about this podcast for a while now about this new mode of thought and documentation. I imagine I may look back at this and laugh, think it's dumb, and maybe even cringy. But something like this has to start somewhere. But even empires, fortunes, cathedrals, as massive and unfathomable as they may be, are built one step, one dollar, and one brick at a time. G.K. Chesterton and Dr. Jordan Peterson talk about starting new things. Chesterton says, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. 
Peterson talks about doing things badly the first time you try, but that being okay, because doing something is better than doing nothing. It's infinitely better. You can get iteratively better. Even 1% better each time is phenomenal progress. I hope to do exactly that. It was nice to talk with you, and I hope you'll stick around next time for the second part. Have a good night. Maybe it ends like that instead of have a good night. I think maybe that's better. Can you end it so that I don't have to? Yeah, sure. Ending in three, two, one. You don't need to count it.